When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and you're listening to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In this episode, I interview human connection specialist, relationship guru and writer and in-demand speaker, Mark Groves on how to learn to how to actually love and be loved by the people we find, how we sabotage relationships and how to avoid common pitfalls, how mind drives intimacy and the physical is the natural outflow and so much more. Just a reminder before we begin this episode, you can now pre-order my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, wherever books are sold or visit cleaningupyourmentalmess.com. Why should you pre-order? Well, When you pre-order your book before March 2nd, you'll get access to some amazing bonus content like a workbook, extra chapters on things like how to use the neurocycle with children, access to an exclusive book club with me, major discounts and free products from my favorite supplement company and more. But these are only available if you pre-order and register your pre-order before March 2nd. So... Just go to cleaningupyourmentalmess.com or drleaf.com for more details. I'll also include the link in the show notes. And now, on to today's episode. Mark, I'm so excited to see you. It always makes me happy seeing your smiling face and I love talking to you and we have the best conversations around relationships. I mean, you just have, you just nailed it. So welcome back and thank you so much for agreeing to do another podcast with me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be back. And I'm excited, so excited that I'm doing it from bed. That's how. Yeah, I see that. I see that. You're so you're very appropriate. You're talking about relationships and you're <laughs> yeah, in bed. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in an Airbnb. I'm like, this is the best place to do a podcast from bed. I mean, who doesn't dream of such a job? Exactly. I mean, we live in an era where we can do our, our podcasts from the bed. Why right. not? <laughs> such a privilege. It's such a privilege. Well, Mark, tell my, my listeners know you, but for those that don't, can listeners and viewers, can you just tell us a little bit about, they've heard your bio, but tell us something that they don't know. What's special about you? What motivates you to do what you do? What's different? What's not in your bio? And what motivates you to do what you do? Well, I... Only people would know this is people who I compete against, but I am very competitive. <laughs> so in sports, I liked, I would say I don't do it as much, but I really like yeah. to talk a lot of trash. And <laughs> I, I'm very competitive in board games. And what is that game I just played recently? Catchphrase, catchphrase. I get uh, real revved up. So I have fun. to learn regulation when I'm in a competitive <laughs> space. I so I think. And that has helped me because, of course, I'm competitive in the sense that I don't want to do anything without, you know, being thorough, without thinking about it. Really, yeah. I don't 
uh, I don't tend to make statements that I can't fully back up by thinking about them a long time. But I want to say I don't tend to because I'm going to leave a caveat just in case someone's like, no, you said one time. Yeah, yeah, you just just teach yourself there. Right, exactly. Well, I love that. And you're an expert when it comes to relationships. I mean, you really have have got a, a tremendous feel for what works and doesn't work. And you really appeal to both male and female. And you just give such, such amazing advice. In fact, I just texted one of oh, your videos you. to a friend of mine saying, hey, you need to watch this because they're going through a bit of a relationship issue. And I said, here's a really cool, because I was looking through all your Instagram bar questions today. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. And I just shot the video over to a friend. And that's how I feel about your work. So I thought I want to approach this podcast differently. And I'm going to pick up on some of your your more your recent little posts and just read them back to you and just talk about them and and sounds great sounds great okay so with valentine's day being yesterday i am going to read i'm starting with the lovey-dovey stuff okay and then we can go into the heavy so i love this one that you posted where you said there are books all about how to pick up a woman and how to get a man but the problem isn't finding other humans they're everywhere i love that it's learning how to actually love and be loved by the people we find The thing we all crave most is a deep and loving connection. Yet very few of us have ever taken the same amount of time and energy we put into swiping left and right as we do into learning how to be a great partner. Maybe we shouldn't have put so much effort into finding an amazing partner if we finally learned how to be one. Mark, that just says a million brilliant things. Do you want to just run with that? I wrote that from a place of, I probably messaged to my former younger versions of myself in that I was really... I think I could be described by every definition to be girl crazy for a number of years, maybe decade, maybe more. And and that was when I look back, one, obviously driven by hormonal desires, but also <laughs> from the desire to distract from grief that I w- didn't want to feel from actually putting in the effort and time. I spent so much time pursuing and catastrophizing mm. and ruminating about relationship but not actually getting to what was the source of my catastrophizing, my ruminating? Why did I not? Like when we worry about relational outcomes, it's often because we don't trust ourselves in the relational experience. So if I don't trust that I'm going to have boundaries, I'm going to fear that I'm going to lose myself. Mm. If I don't trust that I'm going to stand in what I value, if I don't know what I value or mm-hmm. what I, I don't take the time to declare what I want, then when I'm in the dating process, I'll date anything. My standards mm. will be low because I haven't taken the time to hold a high standard for myself. And I feel like so many people, so many of us are on the search for what we would desire, but haven't taken the time to slow down and be present with ourselves. And often dating and relating and sex, all these things can just be another endorphin rush, another dopamine mm. hit that, you know, another match that, you know, these mm. apps are designed to stimulate your brain. They're designed to, as you very well know, someone who does what you do helped design them in a way <laughs> that makes it so we get hijacked by them. Mm. We end up staying on them, which is ultimately what they want. Um, not to say that they, the apps don't have the intention of us finding an, a match, but you know, all social media platforms are created so that we stay on them. So we exactly. use 
So you talk in this particular sense, I just wanted to pick up, it's not the problem with finding, it's learning how to actually love and be loved by the people we find. Can you dive into that a little bit? As I said, with it being Valentine's Day yesterday, we also focused around love and that, you know, we, we, from a scientific perspective, our brain, we talk about being wired for love and our mm-hmm. mind having an optimism bias and love is survival. And you, if you analyze love scientifically and you get away from the sort of mushy side of love and you get into the neuroscience of love and all that stuff, it's very, it's survival and it's mm-hmm. totally satisfying. So can you unpack that a little bit there, learning how to actually love and be loved by the people we find? How do you do that? What advice can you give around that? Or what can you say around that? Well, I think it's so important what you said, that we are mindful of the neurological and biological drives that we have that are, we are wired to belong. We are wired to connect. And I think a real easy to understand modern day version of that is for a number of people listening, you might've experienced judgment of yourself. If you were single yesterday, that this holiday that was created by a card company is, (laughs) you know, that you might've felt not enough or, or lonely, which is because someone taught you that not to say that you can't desire relationship, which comes from a very healthy place, but that your worth is defined whether you're in a relationship or not, because someone choosing you validates whether you're worthy of being chosen. Mm. And as soon as you have been taught that and that operates mm. unconsciously in how you date, then you will prefer to be chosen over choosing oneself. So good. Right. So then when I think about this, like we need to learn how to love and be loved, to give love is actually relatively easy. I'd say in that it's an act. It's a, a lot of people will pride themselves. I'm so good at mm-hmm. loving. I just want love. I just, I can take care of someone. But that actually comes from a codependent place. And if you look at the relational dynamics that we all learned and inherited, they were generally codependent. So just in that sense of like, to actually receive love is where the rubber hits the road. And I, you know, from a biological perspective, when we are, we might've been taught that love was chaos that love was uncertainty, that we, mm. what we learned in our family system was that it's about taking care of other people, never prioritize yourself. Maybe it's just take care of a man. Maybe it's to just be a provider, you know, depending on what gender messages you got. And so if we don't like actually take the work, again, it's, it seems to come down to slowing down, mm-hmm. asking questions, and like what happens if someone actually creates calm? Are you attracted to that? What happens if love is peaceful and they actually choose you? Are you able to actually receive that? And I think what this really Mm -hmm. challenges is if you don't believe you're worthy of love, you won't be able to receive it. And so you might Mm -hmm. run from the very people who are wanting to choose you. But if again, if you don't choose yourself, if you don't know what it feels like to set a standard of love for self, then when someone shows up, it can be, and I'd say likely mostly is, very challenging, very challenging. Mm -hmm. And it's very vulnerable, you know, to actually hear someone. It's like if someone compliments you and Mm -hmm. you you dismiss the compliment or you compliment them right back instead of saying, thank you. Mm, And receiving it. Right. And you can receive the compliment or you can be the one choosing when you've actually chosen yourself first. um, If I'm hearing you correctly, it's really so important that we that we actually, with all our little flaws and things we see wrong, that we actually learn to receive ourselves because then we choose and everyone's then choosing as opposed to waiting to be chosen, which is very right. stressful. Very oh my gosh, it's, it's just con- continuing a relational story. Yeah. And, then, and then you then throw discernment and self-trust out the window mm-hmm. and don't take, is this person a match for me? 
Is this relationship working for me? It's a lot to undo, but it's, it's simple, but it's not. Because of course, changing anything that creates certainty and the possibility of belonging, you know, if you have to choose yourself at the cost of belonging, then there, you're up against some serious evolutionary wiring. Yes, for survival that you're going to be scared of. So you're going to maybe compromise to belong, but that's not, it's not sustainable. You know, I hear no. what you're saying. I've been married for 34 years and that's quite long. So in a, in a sense, makes you quite makes me a, a level of a relational expert. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But it's one of the things that when you spoke about that chose, there was such a certainty in our relationship that we chose each other. It wasn't that I chose you or you chose me. It was that just that it was like this magnet. It was just this was this is it. You know, this was that soul tie kind of thing. And I think that's if I'm hearing you correctly, it's it's not so much you choosing or being chosen. It's you just drawn to each other kind of thing. So cho- yeah. even the choosing almost makes it complicated. I mean, I love what you're saying. I think the secret to long term relational success, which you could speak to more so than me, because you got 29, 28 years on my relationship, <laughs> is that the choice is recognized as a choice. You know, like I think a lot of the times we've inherited again, you know, a vow that's really common is till death do us part. And I've really thought about this, you know, what death, the death of of the self that chose the relationship or a mortal death. And I know we think of it as a mortal death, Mm. but so much of the way we start relationship, if it doesn't come from a place where we're integrated, when we're This is why relational success Mm. is correlated to the older you get married. That makes rational sense. I think of like me at 20 getting married, I'd feel bad for the partner I married. (laughs) You know, like it makes sense because we learn as we go, we get more particular with what we want. Who who you are at 20 when you were with your husband is likely very different than who you are today. And the, the container of the relationship has an agreement that you're not being held to who you were. You know, that you're actually invited to expand. You're invited to change. I look at when my partner grows and I'm like, amazing. If I fear she's growing away from me, then I have to ask about that. I have to share that. You know, it's Mm. how do you hold on to your individuation and be in a relationship with someone else and not cost them their individuation? I think that's really what we're learning is how do you feel free and be in love? And first, you have to know what freedom feels like. And then in, your relationship's not a prison, but a container. And I think that's oh, a very different that's thing. That's beautiful. It's a, it's a container. And it's a container that has infinite boundaries. It just keeps expanding. Yes. You know, where there's that, and you know that you've reached that kind of relationship. That Obviously, everything has ups and downs. We all know that. But like I know when I just need to feel restoration or just that, that when I just need, whew, I've got to like breathe. Being with my husband, Mac, is just like I've got to go find him and just, just even being with, mm. just sitting there or just holding his hand or just laughing at a joke or something. It's just like, I need that. And then I feel fine again. You know, and that's, it's that container that just Beautiful. refills you again. And it's just, yeah. it's so expansive. You know, talking about that, I, you, you've made a really good video about the Fishbound's work on communication, yeah, a really Mona. cute one. And you, Mona, yeah. And you started talking and you, I thought that was really good. And I thought this is a good place. I was going to ask that later on, but I think it's a great place to transition to that because I think in having this kind of deep relationship where you've both, it's not that you wait, wait, wait to be chosen, that waited to be chosen. You chose each other. So there wasn't really even a choice. It was just like a choice, but not a choice. I don't even know how to explain that. It sounds par- It was a choice that was just meant to be. It was just this magnetic whatever. And that leads to levels of communication. And I'm thinking of people that 
fall in love. There's that genuine, I know that I've chosen you. I know you've chosen me. There's that reality that we, we just, we, we just got to be together. But then you get into a relationship and things from whatever, what you've gone through, what they've gone through, life happening happens and your communication starts not doing so well. And then it can reach a point where you, the other partner may not even know that the other partner's not happy with the communication. So you can have this almost a situation where things are, you think you're okay, but you're not okay, but you know you're not okay. And it all comes down to communication. And I felt, if you understand what I'm trying to say, is that we really need to understand how to tune in and encourage each other to talk. So I think a lot of people come from models where they didn't express as much as they should or they expressed bits and pieces so it came through as a confusing narrative. That genuineness of a relationship is complete and utter vulnerability and openness and, and really saying how you feel and you give a lot of tips. So having laid that out, can you talk through that video that you did and the basic elements of communication that are so simple but they're so revolutionary? Yeah, Mona Fishbane's work is really incredible. So good. It's, that's called the vulnerability cycles is what she talks about. And if anyone Googles that, you can, you can get really knee, good stuff. knee mm-hmm. deep in her stuff. It's, it's really fantastic. She has a great author too. Yeah, you know, when you think about the concept of communication, look, like we've been taught like, hey, we're a good couple. We don't fight. You know, and in the Gottman's research, which they're Gottman. world famous Excellent. for all yeah. their research, they're sort of the marriage, mm-hmm. long-term relationship, uh, go- mm-hmm. yeah, gods yeah. and goddesses of that yeah. work. And it, they show it's actually not that great couples don't fight. It's how they fight. They fight mm. fair. They have what they call a soft startup. So inevitably how your conversations end is how so they good. start. Yeah. And, you know, we should expect that when you enter relationship, you know, it's kind of, you hear people, they say, I was doing so good alone and then I got into a relationship and I thought my shit was, you know, my poop was in a group and it wasn't (laughs) when I got into a relationship. And I'm like, good, because that means you have stuff that needs to be healed. You know, when you look, as you said, a lot of us learn in our childhoods and and maybe through school or whatever it is. Mm And I think our religions teach us this, not to talk yeah. about everything, not to touch certain subjects, not to mm-hmm. touch, depending on the religion. Yeah, and yeah. that we start to see these unconscious rules. We learned about communication showing up and getting in the way of intimacy, because as soon as you take subjects and make them off the table, or we only talk about good things, or we don't talk about anything other than the weather or whatever it is, that that's not a sign of relational health. That's actually a sign of Uh, possibly disassociation, possibly, Mm -hmm. you know, you're sweeping it under the rug and inevitably Mm. shown in the research by the time couples see a therapist, it's like six years too late, you know, Mm -hmm. and because they sweep it under the carpet, then they have lots of contempt, lots of resentment. And that's really hard for couples to work through, you know, because there's years of anger and whatever it is, unresolved stuff. And so Mona Fishbane's work talks about vulnerability cycles, which is essentially that whatever your survival strategy, whatever your vulnerability was as a child. So in the example that I gave in that video is, let's say there, I'll speak heteronormatively, but this is true of all gender constructs. Yeah. If you have a guy named Bob and when Bob was a kid, his parents used to fight really harshly, loud, anger, all that stuff. And he would go hide in his room. And then when his parents stopped fighting, his mom would come to his room and you know go say hi and repair with him, make him soothe him. And that worked for him as a kid. And and then let's call her Susie. Susie as an adult or as a child, her parents got divorced when she was five. Her dad moved out. And when she would go see her dad, she would lose it and get really angry. And her dad would soothe her and he would buy her things. And that worked for her as a kid. 
Now you take these two, Bob and Susie, as adults, and they have, by every design, a pretty healthy relationship. And I think what people feel, you know, we often have the same conversations over and over again, or we argue about the same things. Mm-hmm. And it's because we're focusing on the content. The toilet seat was left up, the wet mm-hmm. towel on the bed. And of course, those things can be frustrating, not dismissing that as someone mm-hmm. who's left the toilet seat up a few times. In my <laughs> uh, but to be able to recognize that we fight about the content, but it's actually the unmet emotional need that's below the content. Mm-hmm. So, so if someone good. keeps... Well, if someone keeps telling me to put the toilet seat down, for example, if I'm not listening, it might cause them to feel not prioritized, not important, Mm. that they don't matter, that their needs don't matter. And so you look at Bob and Susie as adults and they fight about the same stuff. They get into arguments and their arguments end the same way. And you can find out what your vulnerability cycle is by finishing a sentence like, when you do this, it makes me do this, which makes you do this. And it keeps going till it doesn't. And so it might be, when you get upset, I withdraw, which makes you more angry and makes me leave or Mm, end the relationship or whatever it is. Yeah. So let's assume that Bob says he's going to be home at a certain time and he doesn't get home at that time. He walks in the door, Susie's, you know, and I'm not speaking from a pure gender role here, but let's say she has dinner ready and she, he walks in the door. She's upset that he hasn't said it. He didn't call. He didn't let Mm. her know. He walks out of the room because she starts to raise her volume, gets angry at him. He goes in, into office or a bedroom, closes yeah. the door, locks it. He's unavailable. And this is inevitably how most of their conversations go. And so mm-hmm. you can see that if you look at Bob's childhood, his vulnerability is his parents fighting, anger, mm-hmm. aggression. And so what he did was he would go hide in his room. In his room. Right. So his vulnerability is intensity. Let's just call it that. And his survival strategy is to go to his room. Mm. Susie's vulnerability is her her parents broke up, got divorced, her father left. Not feeling important, rejection, abandonment, right? Her So her vulnerability are those things. Her survival strategy is to get angry, right? So if you look at her vulnerability, Mm. possibly being left, and her survival strategy is to get angry, you can draw a perfect circle from Bob's vulnerability is anger, so intensity. His survival strategy is to leave. The tool. It's her and the vulnerability, which is people leaving. And her survival strategy is to get angry. So this is how you see this cycle Going that on. just oh. feeds. Right. And wow. Byron Katie has a great line where she says, mm. you can't have war with one person. Mm. And I always love that because it just mm. sort of says like, and, and uh, Harriet Lerner, another magician of relationship, she talks about how it's a dance and mm-hmm. at any moment you can change your dance. So if your dysfunctional way of, but human way of handling conflict is the cha-cha and one person changes their step in the dance. So if normally Bob withdraws, he actually stays and he says, hey, your intensity is really triggering for me right now, but I really, I want to leave, but I'm going to stay because this is important to me and to you. So now they've just tried something totally different. Now, of course, the person who's like, but we do the cha-cha. Let's go back to that. So they might next level their response, maybe get more angry. Oh, Mm -hmm. you're just doing this because a therapist told us. You heard this on (laughs) Carolyn Leaf's podcast. This is bullshit. You know, like you see, so it's, we are afraid of the unfamiliar, Mm. even if the unfamiliar brings us intimacy. And I think it's important that we all look at how we participate. You know, we're, as my friend Traver says we're responsible for 100% of our 50%. Mm. 
And a lot of us over-function, so we try to take responsibility for the whole relationship. It's my fault that we fight or we take on that from someone who tells us it is when it's not. We're responsible for our side. And if you can change your side and the relationship either is invited to change or not, and if it doesn't, you have to draw a line in the sand and decide mm-hmm. if uh, you were speaking previously about like your partnership continues to change throughout, but it's a safe place for you to go. If the relationship can't shift, because of course, a lot of us learning this right now might be in 10-year relationships, 20-year relationships mm-hmm. and want to change them. And I always think like the container of the relationship either has to expand or crack, mm-hmm. but no matter what, it has to change. So if the container you were in, the till death do us part, does not shift, then it must end. And that's a really tough thing for people to recognize because they think their worth is attached to the length of their relationship or just being in one. And if you do not feel free to be yourself or to leave a relationship, which means it's a choice, then you won't be free to be yourself in a relationship. And when, Mm. you know, there's a great, I keep quoting people who I love, but there's a great line from Elizabeth Gilbert to Glennon Doyle when Glennon Doyle was going through her divorce. Mm -hmm. And this is from Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed where Elizabeth Gilbert says to her, there's no such thing as one-way liberation. Like if you are liberated, someone else is. They just might not know it yet. And I totally believe that. You've heard me mention the app Blinkist before, probably a few times by now. Well, have you downloaded it? If not, what are you waiting for? It's truly one of the most amazing and useful apps out there and so good for your mental and brain health. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. 8 million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business health to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for my audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf, try it free for seven days, and save 25% of your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Dr. Lee. Beautiful. Oh, no, this is amazing. I could just listen and listen. It's, it's so powerful. You said so many things there that I was thinking, well, I need to bounce that back on Mark, and I can't remember all of them because there were so many. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it was a long thing. rant. No, it was fantastic, and it, you needed that because you, you unpack so much important stuff. But you said something super important, and that's about the change aspect, and that's that we mustn't be scared of change. I'm not quite sure of the exact phrasing you use, but the, we need to keep changing. And the cha-cha dance that you gave the example that when things change, it may take a little bit of time for the one person who's still wants to stay in the same pattern and they may react, but it's to stick it out, isn't it? To, when you're in that process of change, it, it's very messy. And I always say that in the messiness is when we can actually grow, we can repair and grow. But if you don't have right. the messiness, you can't do that. And then you put the wool over your eyes and eventually it's going to explode. That's the thing is if there's if there's an isn't enough authenticity or vulnerability or honesty or openness or communication happening and being the willingness to keep changing, to expand the container, it will explode at some point. 
And then sometimes it's very extreme, the explosion. And then people don't know how to come back and to, to re-explore. And then they feel like they can't. And I think that's really important is that change applies to every single level. It applies to change within while you're solving. Or if you feel like you've reached a sort of epiphany point, you can still change and still try to solve and then decide if the container is cracked. But to not be scared and to keep on trying. Just, yeah. just my five cents worth. But that change thing is very important. It's, it's not being scared of change in the relationship. I think people get so fixed in their ways. And I'm going from my own experience is that embracing change. My four kids have grown up knowing that the one thing you can be certain about is my love and things will change. And mm, to embrace that. I love you that. Know, and it's, yeah. And change, don't be frightened of change, accept it. And it is a bit scary, but it's not something you need to avoid. Oh, I love what you're I, saying. I think that speaks to what is essential in relationship that you provide in those two statements. One is a reality check. Of course, that change is inevitable. And that's important for people to prepare themselves. And I think if you are afraid of change, you're afraid of uncertainty. And then it's the question, where does uncertainty lead that you might not feel equipped or you might not want? But inevitably, when we try to escape outcomes, we often create them. Or mm. So if I'm afraid of the relationship ending, my relationship with myself might have to end in order to stay in the relationship. So, good. so inevitably, I live in a prison of my fear by being in it to save something from the external world, but the internal world then is filled with, and I would argue that, and you could speak to this, that from a biological perspective, what occurs then is a large amount of dysregulation, a large amount of chaos, and then a large amount of inflammation. And exactly. this is what leads to, I argue, all disease and autoimmune and mm-hmm. uh, gut issues. Totally right. Right? And so... What you said that I love is one thing that will is is certain is my love for you. And that is such a beautiful thing to say and to preface all conflict with. And conflict actually is a way to deepen intimacy. It can be seen it is a mm, gateway mm, to further self. It's mm, a gateway it's a so gateway good. One is a gateway to understand each other. Yeah, conflict. Will, I don't. You can carry on, but I just want to re-emphasize for the listeners: conflict is a way to deepen intimacy. Don't be yeah. scared of the conflict. Don't be scared of the mess. You'll grow and re- you'll repair and you'll grow. Carry on. Sorry, Mark. I just wanted to no, emphasize that. And, and, and I think it's important for people to recognize too: of like, if you're used to conflict that is explosive and blah, blah, you know, any of that, the invitation is to create conflict that is actually filled with understanding and curiosity. And, you know, I think like the greatest Mm. thing a relationship can do is learn how to hold two truths at the same time. And that like you having a truth, uh, you upset me, that didn't sit right, can be different than my truth. But the relationship itself is a platform that embraces change. So when change comes, we're not caught off guard. And it embraces different truths. And I think that's important. I love that. I love that. Something that Mac and I have always is tried to bring in as well is that I love you change. With our kids, we said it, we said it to each other as well. And we tend to, even if we're in an argument, we'll preface it with that love and recognize this change is happening. But I love the two truths. I never verbalize it like that. But it is so important that you do recognize that I, I respect that you believe this. I don't really totally get it, but 
because I love you, I can actually enjoy that part of you, even though I don't fully understand it, as opposed to being threatened by it. So it's embracing those two truths, because it is going to be, even though you're integrated and you are in that relationship, you still have your identity, you still have your truth, right. that how you see it. And you can never, no two people can ever be the same. So the way I always say it is that you, there's something you can do that no one else can do. So that's one truth. And the other partner, and it's, it's, it doesn't have to be in conflict, it can be completely right. enhancing. It's not at the cost of the other. Exactly. I mean, in a world where that kind of is seen, I think, Mark, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that holding two truths is seen as a negative thing. But meanwhile, it's a very positive thing because right. it leads to growth. But it's, it's yes. about agreeing to disagree. It takes you to being a much deeper person. And we see that reflected in the outside world with you know politics and people having different opinions and things. We've got to mm. embrace that diversity. It's, it's, it's good. It's healthy. And I love the fact well, that it, Leads to intimacy. Sorry, go ahead. Well, it seems to be how we handle everything right now. Is that Mm -hmm. you believing something different than what I believe threatens what I believe, which is not true. It's just like Mm -hmm. you telling me you feel a certain way. I don't get to tell you that you don't. I get to hear how you feel and I might not understand it. it, But like you and I can have a total different, totally different experience to the same event. And we will. Well, yeah, through the lens of our past, through the lens, you know, as you talk about, you know, often like the shaping of what shapes beliefs, what shapes stories, what shapes narratives, what shapes identity. Like you have to allow the, the complexity of the lens through which you see the world and you got to get to know that lens or else you will just see the world through that lens without recognizing what glasses were put on you. And that's an important step. And that's why it's so important to be curious. And as soon as you get curious about your own world, you're curious about your partners. I was, I was going to say that. It's, that's totally. As soon as you have had that, you, you go to that, another level of sort of insight and maturity in your insight that you suddenly, oh, there's another opinion as opposed to being threatened. So if you're feeling right. threatened by someone else's opinion, it's because you haven't dug deep enough in yourself. So I think if I hear you correctly, if you want to accept the two truths in your relationship and not be threatened by them, you need to do some deep digging. And if you can't accept them, it's a sign that you have to go and start looking at your own level of who are you? Are you doing the work of really understanding why you maybe are battling with issues or seeing things in that in that way, or et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that speaks to, and I'm only thinking about this as you say that, that speaks to the willingness to be a paradox oneself, to know that Love I can both be a good person and know that everybody is actually capable of evil, you know, but most mm-hmm. people don't mm-hmm. even want to acknowledge that. Exactly. You know, it's not like everybody who participated in whatever side of whatever war were bad yeah. people. It's mm-hmm. because they were shaped to believe certain things. This is how propaganda works. This is how enrolling people in beliefs and messages work. Exactly. And I think being aware of it just teaches you, you know, it, it makes it so it doesn't take a grip of you. That aware is key. It's that it's, yeah. it's, it's key to actually being able to, to start having that deeper insight and your brain immediately, as soon as you're aware in that way, when you start introspecting without being threatened by others' opinions, that mindset change changes the whole neurological functioning. And then the whole thing plays into each other that you can think more clearly. So it's a really cool concept. It's I'm really, curious, a lot of parts of the brain must light up differently though, when you're in that state. 
Well, definitely, because remember, our brains are responders as opposed to generators. So the generation is the generating is coming from you, you being your mind. So your brain is just going to respond. So your brain is always, the whole brain's always working and it's, and it's simply responding and your brain's then telling the body what to do. So the heart's responding and every cell of your body, the immune, everything's all. So your brain definitely does when you're in that deeper state where you are really, I can sort of, fighting against that that other truth you're actually saying oh okay well i don't fully get that but tell me more you know and tell me how you see it and uh, this is how i thought you saw it but maybe i'm wrong that kind of discussion where instead of saying oh you always do this and you're wrong and i'm right and that way is wrong and you must do this which can so easily happen in a point of conflict the, mm-hmm. the more accepting two truths if i can use that as a sort of headline of describing it will facilitate a very good balance between the left and the right side of the brain and you'll get a lot of oxygen and blood flow to the front of the brain and you'll get waves of delta activity which shows that you're you bring up stuff from the past and you're starting to be able to integrate that. Now, you, when you get a high burst of delta, which you normally get lots at night, but if you're having an insightful moment, have an increase in, um, in alpha, which means that you can look inside. And then when you look inside, you get this burst of delta because it's pulling stuff up. And then that then brings along with it a burst of theta. They're all going anyway, but these are just like little bursts, extra bursts. And the theta is healing. So you kind of feel calm. That affects all your neurochemicals and your blood flow and oxygen and your DNA. And I mean, like everything, system and then that leads to like bursts of high beta in the right kind of little burst which then leads to high gamma and this is all happening across left and right pulling pulling from back to front and and across sides and that increases cognitive flexibility and increases then which will lead to tolerant discussion and more authenticity and more vulnerability because your brain is the equipment that your mind needs to use so if my mind's blocked up where I'm saying I'm not going to accept, I'm just angry, you're wrong, I'm right, that kind of attitude, not accepting the two truths, the opposite will happen. So then you reduce the physical state of your brain and body, which then reduces the cognitive flexibility and the ability to introspect in a very accepting way. And you can accept the other person's truth. So when people are in the latter state that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. is I would imagine then their nervous system response is also in fight, flight, freeze, fawn. It's in a, is that, so, yes, so definitely, like you gave the example of the person who, the, the the Susie who gets angry when she's in a position, when she's in something that triggers or activates the, the previous memory. So that, so yes, if you would go into, so in the, in the toxic one, in the negative one, mm-hmm. you would definitely have from your, from your mind would then be the message to the brain, then immediately to the body, because your memory is stored in three places. So thoughts with their memories are stored in three places. So then that would activate sort of third level down, but it all happens super fast. That so physical crazy. reaction in your body, the HPA axis, the fright, flight and fright. And that's why you have to sort of also tune into the physiology to be able to find out why. Because what people don't realize is that memory is stored in three places. So when you recall, when you are activated, you are activating three different types of thoughts that are coming up with different sensations and different mediums and different neurophysiology. And and if you know how to recognize those, you can actually read yourself better and you become more self-regulated and more Mm. introspective and aware not just of how I feel, but aware and comes circling back to that awareness thing. We become aware not just of how we feel, but awareness of how that's impacting the other person. And that's the shift you want to get to. Not just I feel like this and I'm aware of me, but I'm aware of me and I'm aware of my impact of me on others and I'm aware of them. And so you you get into that two people, that truth of two value. Truth of two. There's another little. The truth of two. I like that. Truth of two. Yeah, truth or two, I do like that too. I love that biological breakdown because I think what it offers is people to know like, one, your biological response that is automatic at first 
can shift to a place where you're aware of the biological process. So it separates who you are from the biological process. Yes. And that gives you a space, just like saying I am angry is different than saying I feel angry, and which is so much, much different than saying a part of me feels angry, which offers the complexity of other parts of you that feel other ways. Like you can be excited and anxious at the same time. Often those are mm. kind of delineated by perspective too. Exactly. But yeah. Yeah, really fascinating. I, oh. I mean, I love this stuff. So, it's, Oh, me too. I love it too. It's just fantastic. And the way you explain things, Mark, is just beautiful. This is kind of rolls off what we're talking about a little bit. So creating the life we dream of requires us to simultaneously let go of the belief we don't deserve it. That's why most people get stuck because believing they can't have has been the thing that's protected them from not having and taking the risk. I'm just shortening it. Pay attention to how you sabotage your life. Just talk a little bit about that. Because if you're doing it yourself, you're going to do it in your relationship. If you're sabotaging yourself, take it away. Yeah, I think it keeps coming back to that level of what do you believe you're worthy of. You know, I think so many of us are living in prisons of lives we were taught to want, what job we were taught to get, what role we were taught to play. And you know, I think it's this concept you sort of wake up within whatever, you know, someone would call like becoming woke, I guess is the term. I'm not mm -hmm. a millennial, but that would be the term that's being used. <laughs> and I, I think really awareness or awakening is really just the practice of questioning and, and being curious. Mm -hmm. Why do I do what I do? Do I actually, the conscious part of me, the soul part of me, is this actually how I want to be, the life I want to create, all those types of things. And you know, when your worth is wrapped up, I said previously in your relational status, Yeah. but is it wrapped up in you know, how much money you make, what car you mm -hmm. drive, how you look, your Instagram mm -hmm. following, you know, wherever you place your worth, I love to say that you will lose everything you place your worth in to remind you it doesn't live there. So good. Just say that again, Mark. That's incredible. You will lose whatever you place your worth in to remind you it doesn't live there. And I see this so often relationally, but this could be true from your job, from whatever mm -hmm. it is, that you have to recognize where you place it because it doesn't live there. And I, so many of us are taught that it lives in your ability to provide, your ability, what car you drive, wh mm -hmm. whatever it is. That external stuff. Well, and then you realize you never, even if you get something or someone when you, because of what you have or what you look like, you never really have them. You know, because it's based on a condition that you meet some, some sort of condition. And when I think about the desire to have a dream life, it requires that you simultaneously hold the belief that you're worthy of it. And I think the belief I'm worthy of what I dream of is cultivated by doing it. So, you know, it's like boundaries, mm. boundaries, in or, boundaries service. There is a symbiotic relationship we have with boundaries. Mm -hmm. When I place a boundary, I say, I'm worthy of being treated this way. I'm worthy of this boundary. And boundaries also protect self-worth. So they create self-worth and they protect self-worth. Pursuing a dream says, my dream is worth pursuing, regardless of the outcome. You know, it's like when I place a boundary and mm. someone says, I don't like the boundary, it doesn't mean the boundary is not useful. It mm. just, but if I need the validation of someone else saying your dream is worthy, your boundary is worthy, then I miss the important part of where my worth actually lives, which is in the action. Like, you know, there's that saying, the victory isn't in the process, in the outcome, it's in the process. It's the process, yeah. Right, yeah. the dream, the juice is in the journey. And mm -hmm. that's, that there is a moment, if you've never had a boundary, where you have to place one for the first time. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where if you've never really spoken your authentic truth, 
you have to do it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And both of those, and I would argue pursuing your dream life is the exact same thing, which is you have to take a leap that says, I trust that my worth doesn't live in what I thought created belonging. And that first leap is the most courageous act one could ever take, mm-hmm. which is starting a relationship, leaving one, saying, I love you, saying, I need, saying, I won't stand for this. It's this amazing leap that requires you jumping off the cliff and, and being caught, being mm-hmm. caught by yourself, which is kind of the irony. You know, it's, I always remember a coach that I worked with used to say, you can't skydive and stay on the plane. And I used to think about That's that often. Good. Wow. Yeah. I remember he said to me, you can't be, you can be committed to your dreams or, excuse, or your excuses, but not both. Mm, that is and, so good. Can you give an example of, of this? Because what you're saying here is so profound. I don't want people to miss out on the concept that's being brought forward here. So you are showing, you're telling us something I know people have heard before, but the way you're explaining it is very important for people to get it. That if, if you put your worth in something, that is going to actually make sabotage you, literally. You've got to get your worth, especially if it's some if it's an external thing. Wherever you think your value is, you've got to really check where is your where are you getting your worth, and it should be more internal. Can you give a more kind of practical example of that of what you see happening in relation and how that would affect relationships if you've got one or both partners doing that? Because I think all of us fall into this camp periodically through our lives and in different lives and in different situations that can happen to us. Yeah, I mean, gosh, continuously, because I think what we realize is you keep discovering what masks you wear, that they're deeper, that they're, they're, your authenticity lives below so much conditioning mm-hmm. and generational conditioning. And, exactly. And, and like thousands of years of evolution. You know, it's, a, it's not just a small thing for a woman or a, especially a woman of color to like speak her truth. It's, exactly. it's an act of rebellion. It's an act of revolution. And I, that's why I don't say it with like, just share your thoughts or your feelings. That could have got you, you know, burnt at the stake. Exactly. You know, a, a man being vulnerable, that is in direct rebellion against the model of quote unquote masculinity. Toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this ability to recognize that if I don't believe I'm worthy of the dream life or the dream relationship, I might date people who are unavailable. I might date people who are not compatible. I might sabotage. I might cheat. I might lie. I might blow it up because I don't want to shift the belief. You know, you, I mean, speak to this. You've been on my podcast talking about this, that, that people would rather have a certainty in their belief in their identity than actually get the thing that they actually say they want. There's like a yeah. desire for the perceived safety versus living in this space of like, wait, if I'm actually capable of choosing and creating the life I want, then that means I have to take responsibility for all the times I unconsciously didn't. Mm. I say unconsciously because that at least dispels some responsibility. Mm -hmm. But I think that we don't generally, and I think this is modeled by what we learn from media, religion, culture, society, Mm -hmm. government, which Mm -hmm. is we are not modeled how to hold shame and how to do it in a healthy way. We are not modeled how to take responsibility. Mm-mm. We're not modeled these things. So when I have to take or see that I get to choose if I respond in conflict the same way, or I get to choose if I'm going to let the way I was conditioned to condition my life. Mm-hmm. If I acknowledge that I have a choice in how I show up in a conflict in relationship, or even speaking my truth or accepting my partner's truth, 
then I have to take, I have to hold every single moment prior to that moment of acceptance where I didn't. And that's going to bring up shame because now mm. healthy shame is the recognition that there's a better choice available to me mm-hmm. today, which means I have to feel all the times I didn't do it and maybe hurt myself and maybe hurt other people. And a lot of us go back to drinking, doing drugs, banging, whatever it is, dopamine rushes, swiping, mm-hmm. Instagram likes, hits, mm-hmm. booties, whatever it is, mm-hmm. because that takes me to a place where I don't have to feel, I don't have to feel grief. I don't mm-hmm. have to feel anger. I don't have to feel anything. And so mm-hmm. this is sort of like, I know as my friend Terry Cole would say, that's a long way around the barn. Taking care of your body is a vital component to improving your mental health. As I often say, an undernourished brain is an anxious brain. You have to make sure your hardware is working so the software can run effectively. So, how do you ensure you're getting what your body needs daily? This is where Athletic Greens can help. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your healthy routine today, while avoiding the need to take multiple pills or add complex routines. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you one thing with all the best things. One tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, and support a healthy immune system. I love mixing my scoop with an acai bowl or smoothies. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during the winter months. They are offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. You'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. So, whether you're looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. It's showing us that we need to really, the only way out is through, and you have to do that work. Everything we've said so far, you've said a million different things, but at the core of this is is know thyself. It seriously is a a know thyself. That's That's it. Yeah, and when you know yourself, then you can actually then you you you're going to be a better. You're going to see what you need in a relationship. You're going to give what you need in, in a relationship, and and your dreams and goals. And in our in our pop culture, in our quick fix society, it's definitely that instantaneous quick fix thing that people are looking for. They want an instant, you know, fall in love and have that relationship. And like you said on your one of your posts, right. which this is beautiful transition over to the post where you say, "Can I'm going to read it? This one, the picture of you standing by your car and you." read there, you sort of create the love because I felt like the world hadn't told us and me the truth about love and life. Disney made us fall in love with love that was absent of challenges. Our schooling prepared us to be in the relationship with work and not each other. Our math class taught us about numbers, but not about money. 
Our health ed taught us very little about actual health. Then I started my podcast, I could learn alongside you. And you got slammed by a couple of people. Listen, we all get it. And you just you just said that's your platform, your lanes, your choice. And I'm so glad you said that. But you've explored subjects that extend out into health and all things. And every so often you'll get the message, stay in your lane, blah, blah, blah. I'm unfollowing you. I get that too. But the point here is that you have shown that love is at the core and we have been misled. We And we've got a lot of those, if I understand what you're saying here, that we've had this perception of Disney love, that it's going to be this little mermaid kind of situation happening. And from, from that kind of thing to the unrealism of what mental health care that we live in now, we, you fix things when they're broken. And instead of being preventative, I think what I'm hearing you say here is that we need to shift and look at what is really being told us. In our current culture, it's been very bad over the last 50 years where things have shifted away from the narrative and the context of the human and who you are and what you're doing and what, how you got here and to, okay, let's look very biologically at these are your symptoms, these, let's identify them, let's, you know, you're not having the goals, everything, goal, 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 goal. I hate goals because I think that they're <laughs> totally restrictive for people. I believe yeah. in having a vision, but to have, I've got to get to that goal, you actually now, it's all external coming in. So Disney's Yes. Us external coming and it's all about this feeling and the whereas meanwhile it's inside out. Okay, that's kind of how I read your post. And tell me if I'm completely wrong and take it away. For me, a lot of what is frustrating about the education system, which is not about teachers, it's separate. Teachers are amazing. I mean, the majority yeah, of I teachers, mm-hmm. you know, like any profession, you got your duds. But teachers are amazing and often teachers pay out of pocket to help kids. They stay and they don't get paid for all their time. They mm-hmm. coach for free. I mean, it shows you how they should be one of the highest paid professions. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And you know, I the real issue I have is like none of my education, especially because mine had a Catholic slant on it, actually prepared me for intimate relationship, for my relationship with money, for my relationship with my body. For actual nutrition, I mean, the nutritional world's a fucking joke, pardon my oh, language. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The relational, I mean, we're not taught how to have the, the most important skill you can develop I would, I, is through relationship, which is self-regulation and the ability to understand oneself, as you yeah. said, know thyself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's through relating. The, the quality of your mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. as shown by the research, the Harvard Men's Study, which is, I think, now called the Harvard Wellbeing Study. Mm-hmm is the longest running study on well-being. And it shows that it's the quality of your relationships at age 50 that predict your health at age 80 and not your cholesterol, not your blood pressure, not. And I'd exactly. argue that those are all correlated and also, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the ability to access food and nutrition. You know, it's being able to recognize that all these things are occurring and we're not taught a single part about it. Maybe no. 0.01% of schools now actually teach. I do know some, I've heard of schools teaching relational things. And so I felt the need to start my platform because I was discovering truth that I never knew existed. And I was mad about it. And I was like, why is no one being taught this? I went through a lot of pain, brought other people through pain because no one taught me this. And that was before I even started to learn about the relationship to money. Oh my gosh. As soon as I did that, I was like, wow, this is a fucking joke. And and I say that all cynically, but really that the birth of the passion was to go into all these avenues and realizing like your relationship to another person, you're going to see a magnifying glass to your dysfunctions, but you might see it in your relationship to money. You might see it in your relationship to food. You might see it in your relationship to your career, to your body, to your mind. They're all, or sorry, I should Mm -hmm. say to your brain. And 
And all of those are driven by mind anyway, brain, everything, everything you've just said is driven by mind. That's the number one thing. Everything you're talking about, I don't mean to interrupt you, but everything you're saying is mind, mind driven, which then drives the others. So we're not being taught about it. It shows you how important it is. Yeah, it is. Who teaches us that? No one even teaches us that your brain is not who you are. Exactly, exactly. And that you can uh, actually learn these skills. Like you're saying, why weren't we taught that in, in school? It's like we've missed a whole chunk of our education. We should be teaching people, kids from very young, what the mind is, how to use the mind so that you can use the mind to understand relationships yes. with money, with food, with math, with whatever, all these different things. What are the, it's, it starts with how to think, feel, and choose. And then from there, you can apply it. Because mm. if what, you, what you're learning on your, what you're teaching us on your platform is how to think, feel, and choose about relationships. In other words, what's your mind in your relationship? What's the mind behind the relationship? That's what you're doing on your platform. And then you've taken it into the relationship with other areas. And I love that. I love that you're not just dealing with it. yes it is between humans is like one of the main thing that you've sort of gone into but you're now saying how that is so reflected in money and food and and how All often of do people battle with a relationship and suddenly there's eating disorders or they battling with a relationship but there's financial issues and there's you know there's all kinds of other issues that and so and as you say mind leads to relationship there's a one one quantum physicist that is considered he's just a theorist as well. He really talks about sort of life and whatever. He makes a comment that it's not about you, it's about you in the world. Mm. You know, and that's just beautiful. And there's so much like mathematical mm. stuff behind that. It's not about you, it's about you in the world. And I see you kind of picking you're really trying to dig into that a bit, which is excellent. I love it. To me, I think like, well, none of these capitalistic systems would be fed if you were taught all those things. You know, like our exactly. relational dysfunction with food comes from the chemical cascade that sugar causes, Absolutely. of course. But you don't seek unhealthy relationships with anything when you have a healthy relationship with yourself. You know, it's what the addiction, as Gabor Mate talks about, it's what does the addiction take you away from feeling? What is exactly. It, right. Addiction so, is just hiding. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think about, you know, he had a really... He said something that I thought was really fascinating, and I'm sure people listening, you might not agree with this. I just think it points to an important point of inquiry, which, I mean, there's a lot of argument about where ADHD comes from, ADD. Mm-hmm. But he said, it's ultimately a fear of the present moment. And he is someone who, uh, I believe, speaks about his own suffering from ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting as someone Very. myself who I think was too too old for it to be an available diagnosis when I was young, but I certainly would have been told that I suffered from it. I was hyperactive. I was, you know, all over the place. And when I started to slow down and get present and start to think about my mind as opposed to my brain, which you did such a beautiful job on my, and I can't wait for your new book, by the way, which is out now. Second of March. Second of March. Yeah. Because I can't wait to get into anything that helps decipher the mental mess. (laughs) And your work is... It's making what is seemingly complex very relatable. And most of us don't have access to neurological research or neuroscience in a way that we can sift through it all to make sense of this, which I think ultimately all we want is to be witnessed, is to say, Mm -hmm. it's not my fault. It isn't our fault why we do things, but it is our responsibility what we do with them. Exactly. And, And, you know, as I said earlier, in taking responsibility, is also being able to expand your own container to hold the complexity of all the things you were taught that were not helpful mm. and, and your survival strategies that were helpful when you had them as a child, but they're not helpful for intimacy today. And 
ultimately that's the work, as you said, which mm. I think is so simply put, know thyself and love thyself. Exactly. I was like, oh, let's let's talk about intimacy. Let's talk about really getting intimate in a relationship and, and ship and I'm not just talking about like the, the, both. I want to talk about emotional, the, the, the connection side as well as the physical a little bit. So let's just talk about it's so easy to hide behind the physical and if that's good if we know that if sex is a problem, it's ninety five percent of the problem. If it's not a problem, it just kind of supports the other issue. But let's talk about intimacy in mind, being able to be in, in between two people, and intimacy in the physical sexual relationship. What's the relationship between those two, and how do you see it, and how do you explain it, and with all your experience helping people, because that's a big thing for people. It's huge. Did I ask yeah. that question well enough? Did you get what I'm trying yeah, to say? The intimacy I think concept. If I both understand sides. it, how do you let's call them like physical intimacy challenges, how do they relate to emotional intimacy? Exactly. Let's talk about both. Let's talk about intimacy from both angles and how you see that being problematic and how can we solve it? What works, what doesn't work? Well, I think a lot of the times what happens with sex is that much like money, much like communication, it has a story attached to it. So, you know, it's like couples don't fight about money. They fight about the conflict of their stories about money that are incompatible. And, and so when I can get to know the story behind why there's a challenge or what's showing up for you, like intimacy, physical intimacy issues are relational issues. Exactly. And the person who, who may be the focal point of the challenge, like has lower desire, maybe has arousal issues. Mm-hmm. We often focus on the person, which just perpetuates shame. And Dr. Alexandra Salman has a great book on this called Taking Sexy Back. In mm-hmm. this conversation where she talks about it's important that the couple turns shoulder to shoulder towards the problem or the challenge mm-hmm. so that it's the, it's the couple's challenge. And now you have two people turning towards and loving and understanding this thing. Because if I have arousal issues or if I have intimacy issues within physical, it means that we're bumping up against something. Maybe I don't feel safe. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable. Maybe I don't feel heard. Maybe I don't feel understood. How Mm -hmm. am I going to let you into me or me into you or that Mm -hmm. merging of bodies Mm -hmm. if I actually don't feel safe with you emotionally? Mm -hmm. I think the caveat to this is that at least I can speak in my own experience, and I think Mm -hmm. this is true of the human experience, is that if we don't feel celebrated in our relationship, I think a lot of the times we seek intimacy through physical as a ways of bypassing or escaping the physical, the Mm -hmm. emotional. So a lot of men are socialized to find connection and purpose and worth in their sexual prowess, but Mm -hmm. it might be the only place that they actually feel safe to be witnessed to, to be seen because it's sort of correlated to the, again, quote unquote, masculinity as where, you know, there's from a biological perspective, often a lot more consequences for women when there's the engagement of sex Mm because children and, Mm -hmm. and all of the things that go with that So with all that said, I would say that they can be separate, but it's usually a a way of of isolating the things. What is the right term for that? The one leads to the other. There's an integration between the two that you've got to have the know thyself, the mind stuff going. The mind stuff's got to be right if the sex is going to be right. And if you're using sex to try and fix the mind, it's the wrong way around. That's how I see it. Right. So you've got to get the mind part right in your relationship. And it's going to, the the, the sex is going to be just a natural expression of that intimacy. So if there is an issue in the sexual zone, there's there's something going on, not necessarily maybe in your relationship, but maybe something in your past 
which is then now entered into the relationship sort of thing. So you've got to then do the mind Amen. work to get the that intimate. I don't know. That's just how I, I see mine. Totally agree. Yeah, because when I think about those two, it's like when I think about my own personal experience, one was that I used to use intimacy and not allow emotional closeness, mm -hmm. but I'd allow physical closeness. Then yeah. I felt affirmed. Then I felt aroused. I could treat yeah. my grief, my suffering, my fear of abandonment mm -hmm. with arousal. And so I might, it's like often I, t I talk about this idea of like we eroticize our pain. And mm. so maybe we are, we fear being left abandoned. We choose unavailable people. So I feel like you're unavailable. I feel like you're ambivalent about choosing us. We have sex. I feel aroused. And so the arousal itself treats the fear of abandonment, yeah. but it doesn't solve it's the lack of safety. It's not sustainable. No, right. lack of safety. I wanted to say that word. Yeah, sorry. Well, yeah. So we try to meet needs, safety, security with wants, sex, engagement, babies. We try to give me a gift instead of certainty. You know, it's like when someone, let's say, cheats on someone or lies or mm -hmm. gets caught doing something, they buy them a gift. It doesn't actually solve anything, but it gives the illusion of you matter without actually making you feel like you matter. Mm. And so coming back to what you said initially is the sexual challenges are relational challenges. You know, when my partner and I, we broke up a year ago and then got back together uh, like a year and a bit ago. And then we got back together like yeah. eight, five months ago, four months ago. When we first got back together, first started to court, I guess is the term, yeah. to date, I had a challenge wanting to be intimate because there wasn't safety and security yet. And mm. formally, and I had to observe this, is I, my mind wanted to say, what's wrong with you and this relationship that you don't want to be intimate? But mm. the part of me that had healed was like, you're not ready. And that has nothing to do with your masculinity or your mm -hmm. sexuality or your prowess. Mm -hmm. It's that your heart is literally connected from a soul-based perspective to intimacy. And I used to be able to compartmentalize, that's the word I wanted before, compartmentalize. to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And now I'm integrated in that capacity. And it's interesting that messaging has taught me there's something wrong with me or not as masculine. When from a human perspective, it's actually... It's the most natural. Right, right. It's the most real... It's the real love thing there because it's the natural outflow. So it shouldn't be sex to get mind right or relationship right. It should be mind to get, and not even get sex right. It's mind. And then the sex is going to be a natural expression of that. So I love how you right. explained that with the, your own example there. Oh, Mark, I can talk to you forever. I love that we have these chances Same. to share on these podcasts. And I have to, I know I've kept you for so long now. And thank you so much for all your lovely insight and beautiful, brilliant insight and wisdom. And it's always just, so much. So it's just like, I feel like we had about 20,000 other questions, <laughs> but we'll do another podcast and we'll take it even further. So thank you so much for joining me today. And how can people find you? You can find me on Instagram. Well, on all the places yeah. I create the love, except for TikTok. I don't do that one. And then I also, I have an app called Mind, M-I-N-E apostrophe D, which you can Wonderful. just go to download mind, M-I-N-E-D.com. And that's, and it's, we created an emotional network. It's for mental Beautiful. health, for learning about relationships, learning about yourself. And we're super pumped about that. It's basically like the Peloton for emotional wealth. Oh, how beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. So they can find out about all about that at MIN. I will we'll put it in MIN Post Download M, download mine.com, which will just bring you to whatever phone you have to the app store Perfect. for you. And yeah, it's, and on Instagram, it's at, at do you mind. 
Wonderful. And then that deals with all these issues, relational. All the stuff, relational, money, sex. We got a sex therapist. We've got. It's incredible. Yeah, we've got all the, all the things. Wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. And your Instagram is so worth a follow. Everyone should be following that too. And thank Mark, you so thank much. you so much for your time and wisdom. And as I said, I love chatting to you. It's always such fun. Right back at you. Thank you so much for having me again. And I look forward to interviewing you again on my podcast. I'm excited to do that super soon. I'm really excited. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.